Let us pray. God, who knows we can only pretend for so long, we long to be seen and we're terrified to be seen. We find ourselves in rooms where in order to belong, we must disguise and diminish ourselves, our bodies, our beliefs. Help us to reclaim the sound of our truest voice. Guide us toward habits of self-protection in the midst of those who demand a particular way of being or thinking or believing. Let us see clearly any space that requires us to shrink ourselves and then take us where it's safe. Awaken those relationships which do not flinch at the truth of us but draw near in curiosity and tenderness. Those capable of beholding the growth of a person without feeling threatened. Let our belonging begin at the sight of our truth-telling. Remind us we can be known and still loved. Amen. A prayer by Cole Arthur Riley, creator of Black Liturgies. I think I forgot to mention that in the morning and earlier, but just make sure I give credit where it's due. So in our lessons this morning or this afternoon, we're focusing on family um, included, I think, in our gospel lesson and Paul's letter to Philemon. Both probably challenge our viewpoints about family dynamics. So I want us to look at Paul's letter and kind of walk through it and, and kind of see and, and look at um, how the letter is arranged and kind of think of the characters and how we find our place in that story. This is a content-packed letter and we look at the theme of these relationships as we, um, as we start to get to know a little bit more about the characters. We have three in this letter. We have Paul, who we know is in prison. We have Philemon, a friend of Paul, and probably uh, we could consider him a church planter. People meet at his house to have, to have church. So he had become friends and known about Paul and now had his own church as well. And then we have Onesimus, a slave and now a friend of Paul. So Paul greets Philemon, and halfway through this letter, Paul brings up Onesimus. And by the way, today we are, well, after we read these next few verses, we'll have read a whole book today. Now you can, you know, from the Bible, normally it's just a few verses, but now we can say and, you know, went to church and read a whole book out of the Bible. So it, we end with verses, so chapter, I mean, Philemon is verses 1 through 21, and verse 21 is, Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So verses 22 through 25 is what we're missing, and says, And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The shortest of Paul's letters at only 335 words in the Greek text. Can you imagine over thousands as we prepare for sermons each week, we kind of browse and, and look at what scholars and theologians and commentaries have to say. Thousands of commentaries on just these 335 words. 
So let's hope that together today we come close to where Paul wanted to take us with his message. Slavery in the Roman Empire was part of life. Some spoke out against it, but no abolitionist movement existed. You either owned, you knew, or you were a slave. We know Onesimus ran away from Philemon. Sorry, it's a mouthful when I have to say them in the same sentence. So we know Onesimus ran away from Philemon. Possibly, probably, usually there's, what I was finding out is there's a few reasons why a slave would run away. And, and one of the main reasons was that he probably, that Onesimus probably stole from Philemon on his way out. And somewhere in his run, made it to prison and there ran into Paul. So Paul did what Paul does and shared the good news and recruited pretty much Onesimus. And Paul's letter to Philemon is organized in his typical style of there's an opening, greetings to the church of, and then um, thanksgiving, a petition. Paul makes his appeals and ends with greetings and benediction. So here, Paul is very strategic with his words and makes it necessary, makes it uh, kind of, it tugs at our hearts in the way that he plays with the words and talking to uh, Philemon. He says, of course, this is a one-sided conversation in which we only hear Paul, and we have literally no idea what Philemon or Onesimus are thinking, and we, we don't ever find out. We, there's no uh, other um, information on what came about from this letter. So we kind of just have what Paul wrote, and then we go with that. And so um, this enslaved person had betrayed Philemon, and here was Paul asking for him, for Philemon, to welcome Onesimus. And not only to forgive him, but to consider him as a sibling, a beloved brother. And he starts telling him, you know, talking about Onesimus was once useful and then was not useful, but now he's useful again. And so in Greek, Onesimus means useful. And a lot of um, slaves were named based on their contributions or what they did. So this slave was useful, so we name him useful, Onesimus. Uh, and I think that, that, and we'll get to that part, why I think that part is import, important too, but we can only imagine what Philemon was thinking, perhaps angry, perhaps embarrassed that he would be the joke or just the conversation or whom they would be talking around in the town because as runaway slaves were usually not forgiven. Rather, usually if they were to return, they were executed. And so this letter is kind of like Onesimus, Onesimus uh, his, his, uh, his, what is it, like an extra life. You know, he's going back and he has to... He has to go back and he's taking the, he's traveling with the letter itself, you know, so he's um, going there and that's pretty much what's going to, well, we hope saves him. And so, or I don't know, maybe Philemon was a better person than I am. So I started to think as I prepared, I was like, well, well, how would, you know, what, I mean, I'm not in the same context as Philemon Onesimus, but I, I was thinking, well, I could think of like, maybe a problem with a brother or a sister or a sibling you have like a little disagreement and you're mad at each other and you're kind of like not 
not forgiving each other and not letting go. And so for me, I thought, well, maybe Philemon was a better person than I was at forgiving because I'd probably be a little upset um, if my brother did something to me. And, you know, I'd hold on to that. I'd be like, you know, getting a letter from my mom telling me like, hey, you got to forgive him. And, and, you know, and, 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 and the way he pl- way plays with the words, not really asking, I mean, not demanding, but asking. Paul is really like, I could demand this from you, Linda. Like, I can tell you, you have to do this. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm asking you to consider these things and, and consider forgiving him and, and welcoming him because we are in this together, right? Maybe not the perfect example, but for me, that's kind of like the vision I got. Like, this disagreement with my, my sibling or something. So, and so maybe he was perfectly content with these, this letter from Paul. So throughout decades, theologians and, and historians have wondered why such a short letter would be included in the Bible. Why, why would we keep this part? And so I think that it, it's a reminder of, of what we are called to be in, to be in, in these types of relationships that sometimes we don't understand and sometimes we may not agree, or sometimes we may agree, but we are put into this, um, the, the, these relationships to create um, this opportunity for love, to experience Christ in our lives together. So that faith is expressed through the love we show others. And as I said, Paul didn't order Philemon to accept an Onesimus, Onesimus as a beloved brother, but instead asked him, and, and Christ connects the three, these three characters, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, regardless of their position or status in the church. Because I can only imagine what it would mean for Philemon in that community to forgive and welcome Onesimus back into the church or this household. And not just as a, a no longer as a slave, but rather as a brother someone who is serving Christ as well. We can reconstruct relationships through this. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we kept this book in the Bible. So that we would be able to see, and, and hopefully, I mean, I would think that because it was short, so then it was like, all right, hopefully you'll get it this time. You know, it's a little shorter. Maybe you'll get the message across. Um, but I think it allows us the opportunity to, to ask for forgiveness and be forgiven in Onesimus' case, having gone to prison and now being a servant of Paul and helping out. And I think that that, that allows me, when I, you know, as we prepare, finding ourselves in that story. So who do we identify with? Or We don't know anything else about these characters, but how do we connect given just the facts that we have in our text? And so then we go to our gospel. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I don't think that Jesus, what Jesus said about hating our family was to be taken literal. The parallel passage in Matthew 10:37 uses the author uses words that are a little softer in a way and, and says whoever loves father 
or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's softer or not. I'm like, oh, worthy, you know, it's just the playing of the words I, uh, and, and the way they are arranged by their authors. And so, so Matthew 10.37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I think that like everything else in scripture, we must use our own personal context to understand the text and what scripture is saying to us. Jesus needs a crowd to understand and develop a sense of urgency. I think Jesus has been traveling, right? And we know that Jesus has gone teaching and through the use of parables and healing and and, and it's, you know, has a good group of followers, but Jesus is headed to die on the cross, right? And and there's this not, you know, there's this no sense of urgency from the group, uh, the, those followers of Christ. So I think that why the authors included, uh, why Jesus used these words is mainly for us to understand the importance of them. There's no time to wait around. And they were to gather all of our belongings and instead recognize that this is to happen now. It reminds me kind of like children or as growing up for me, thinking, you know, when my mom would say, it's time to go, nos vamos a ir en un ratito, we're going to go in a little while. I really didn't know what that little while meant. The little while could mean five minutes, it could mean 30 minutes, it could mean an hour, you know, and it could mean I get to finish playing whatever I was doing. Um, but I knew that my mom wouldn't leave me. And, and there's this, you know, so, so Jesus is kind of probably like at a point where he's been teaching them and saying like, come, follow me, follow me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus. But, but not truly from their heart intentionally um, taking up one's cross and following. Jesus needs his followers to understand that they are to let go of their possessions if they want to follow. You know, it says, whoever does not carry the cross, and I think most of, most of us, when, when in the gospel we hear we have to let go of our possessions, Jesus, I think, means both physical, tangible things, but also those things in our own personal lives, maybe our egos or uh, those things that don't allow us or distract us from God. I think it's a message of having faith in Jesus and not literally hating our family. And I don't, all, don't think that hate had the same definition then as it does now for us. It's more to understand and see the, the importance of loving, loving, above, loving Jesus above all things. Even above those things that hold us back, even among those things that distract us from God. Family in this context, and probably our own, is important because this is this was based on what Jesus was experiencing. So I'm assuming that Jesus saw the importance of family in his followers and those that believed and and were in in the crowds gathering, and therefore he uses this the, this these words about hating our family. I think it's important to note that it isn't, and I, it is not always the case either. Um, maybe in our own lives, we are part of different systems, and sometimes they're broken, including family relationships. And so, I think that the example Jesus gives is more for us to understand how important it is 
to foster and to, to nurture the relationship that we are to have with Christ. And to let go of those things that we hold on to really, really tight that distract us or keep us away from being, uh, to, from being just vessels of love for others. So I just want to end to ask you to remind you to love and to serve and to listen, to see what is around us and to act with a sense of urgency in how we respond when we show our radical love and this love that Jesus is inviting all of us to um, when we walk with him. And all that we say and in all that we do. Amen.